listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. Welcome to our Living for the Batman series. Amidst an ever-expanding world of cinematic superheroes, the character of Batman remains one of the most iconic. The first comic book version of the Batman Bruce Wayne persona was first created for the page by Bill Finger and Bob Kane in 1940. And since the late 1960s, this character has been represented at the movies in various live-action and animated incarnations by at least seven different actors. Once a month over the next four months, I will be revisiting one movie featuring a different actor playing the Cape Crusader leading up to the U.S. release of The Batman on March 4th this time starring Robert Pattinson in the title role. Batman Begins, which came out in 2005 and was directed by Christopher Nolan. I seek the means to fight injustice, to turn fear against those who prey on the fearful. Master Wayne, it's been a long time. So what do you think? Does it come in black? It stars Christian Bale, Michael Caine, Gary Oldman, Liam Neeson, Katie Holmes, Morgan Freeman, Cillian Murphy, Tom Wilkinson, Linus Roach, and Ken Watanabe. The genre would be superhero origin story. Now, what is it about origin stories that can often make them the most fun? Well, it's probably the introduction and or reintroduction to seemingly familiar characters who you get to see presented in an interesting new way. Now, it took a few years after the early years of the IP era of blockbusters, the modern era of blockbusters, pretty much kind of which kicked off around late 2001. But a few years later, around the mid-2000s, Hollywood had kind of a renaissance for origin stories, not including X-Men Origins Wolverine, strangely enough. From 2005 through about 2011, you had Rise of the Planet of the Apes, Iron Man, Star Trek 2009, X-Men First Class, and of course, Casino Royale, which was often nicknamed Bond Begins at the time it came out. The directors of these films weren't just cashing in on nostalgia or familiarity. What all these films had in common was that they gave audiences the chance to revisit already beloved characters and our properties, and to see the beginnings of these stories often in pretty unexpectedly inventive ways. There is the unexpected thrill of watching Caesar speak for the first time in Rise of the Planet of the Apes. There's the fist pump moment of watching Magneto go full-on Nazi hunter at that Argentinian bar in a great scene in X-Men First Class. Now, these are all seemingly gimme moments designed to elicit fan service, but they do more than that. They take the story in an exciting new direction, regardless of who is inhabiting it. Well, for me, Batman Begins, which came out amidst all this other crop, is the granddaddy of all origin stories. Because pretty much from roughly the 62-minute mark on forward, Christopher Nolan and Christian Bale deliver a blistering series of such moments which often sneak up on you, never overwhelm the story, and just seemingly build upon each other. And we'll get to some of those a bit later. The first hour leading up to the official reveal of The Batman is pretty strong in and of itself, as we see glances of Bruce Wayne's younger years, including the obligatory murder alley sequence of Bruce watching his parents get murdered. 
Now, just having rewatched the two other big screen versions of this particular scene in Batman 89 and Batman v Superman, I prefer this one as there is more actual setup for it with some warm moments between Bruce and his father, nicely played by Linus Roach, beforehand. We just feel the loss more. We also get to know Michael Caine's Alfred during this introductory portion, along with the gravitas and intelligence that he brings to this character. It's just really spot-on casting. Why do we fall, sir? So that we can learn to pick ourselves up. Just give it up on me. Never. Then there is Liam Neeson's Ducard, as he trains Bruce in the ways of the League of Shadows. Neeson predictably excels in the role of a mysterious mentor, as does Morgan Freeman, bringing a droll wit to all of his scenes as Lucius Fox, which is Gotham's answer basically to Q from the Bond films. No mech survival suit for advanced infantry. Kevlar biweave, reinforced joints. Terror resistant. This sucker will stop a knife. Bulletproof. Anything but a straight shot. Why didn't they put it into production? Being counters didn't think a soldier's life was worth 300 grand. So, what's your interest in it, Mr. Wayne? I want to borrow it for uh, spelunking. Spelunking? Yeah, you know, cave diving. You're expecting to run into much gunfire in these caves? Look, I'd rather Mr. Earl didn't know about me borrowing. Mr. Wayne. Way I see it, all this stuff is yours anyway. Each of these actors truly elevate their scenes, including some dialogue they are given, which can be quite on the nose. And about that dialogue, I'm not going to lie that during that introductory half hour, it gets a bit rough at points. It's fun watching Bruce train, and it's nice to see so many engaging characters like Alfred or Jim Gordon introduced but it feels at times that they're almost talking to the audience as much as each other. It's just very expositional, along the lines of the following. Who is he? He was a farmer, and he tried to take his neighbor's land and became a murderer. Now he is a prisoner. What will happen to him? Justice. Crime cannot be tolerated. Criminals thrive on the indulgence of society's understanding. Your parents' death was not your fault. your father's. And David Goyer's screenplay has gems like that sprinkled throughout. Gratefully, with seasoned pros like Neeson, Freeman, or Oldman in the cast, so you at least have the right type of actors to pull them off. As I said, this is an origin story at the end of the day, and one of its biggest strengths comes from watching our main protagonist and the, quote, escalation of the threat that he has to face. Thanks to Goyer and Nolan, it's also structured in a very canny way, which allows for multiple villains, but never in a way that feels excessive. This movie very much avoids the, quote, too many villains trappings of so many other superhero movies, including the two previous Batman movies from the 1990s that came before this. It does this by allowing us to spend some time with various members of Batman's famous, quote, rogues gallery, meaning he has a famous gallery of villains, one of the best. Carmine Falcone, Mr. Zaz, Raz al Ghul, but as a chain of villainy that our protagonist works his way up throughout the story. My personal favorite being Dr. Jonathan Crane, played by Cillian Murphy, also known as Scarecrow. I just love the creepy, pointed manner with which he utters every line of dialogue. 
here at this point they can't stop us but the batman has a talent for disruption force him outside the police will take him down and that villainous plot that he is a key part of to spread fear around gotham using a fear toxin well under the surface it is kind of silly but none more so than the eventual villain plots that we've seen in the best comic book movie origin stories from iron man to wonder woman to the very first Superman movie back in 1978. It works in the context of the slightly heightened world introduced by Nolan, and it also provides a great opportunity for us to see some bad guy's point of view of the Bat at his most terrifying. We see these images when they have the fear toxin of Batman with eyes glowing, black goo coming out of his mouth. It's really cool. And regarding that climax, I quite like it even though I can see some of the criticisms lobbed at this movie for the action sometimes being shot too tightly at times. I would gather that the lack of mobility allowed by this particular bat suit, which would be rectified in the sequel, was part of the reason for that. While from a story standpoint, it still really tracks. This version of Batman is trained to be a ninja, to be a scary visage meant to scare criminals. His fighting style is meant to be creep, punch, get in, get out, done. So it kind of works along those lines. And this, of course, takes me to the film's final moments, which likely cement its fate not only as a great origin story, but in my opinion, the greatest superhero movie ever. That's right. Better than The Dark Knight. Sorry, but I believe that's the case. Most folks just remember that quick image at the end of this movie of the Joker card, which is subtle and probably the textbook example for how to tease a sequel without stopping a movie in its tracks. And yes, both Kevin Feige and Zack Snyder should have taken notes here. This is the way you do it. But what I love even more is that gratifying final exchange between Bruce slash Batman and Jim Gordon, which epitomizes what makes a superhero like Batman still so special after so many decades. I never said thank you. then black screen, the first thunk of that bat theme, then the title card, all caps, Batman Begins. Just perfection. And that brings us to the categories. The first category, because this is the Living for the Batman series, is the best bat bit. This series has so many elements which carry over through various incarnations of the Caped Crusader. The theme music, the Batmobile, villains, Alfred, and even visual gags involving the bat symbol. And this award goes to the one that stands out the most for this particular entry in Batman film canon. Wow, this is an easy one. <laughs> really easy. In Batman Begins, we are introduced to what I would consider the best cinematic version of the Batmobile, the Tumbler. I'll get my car. I brought mine. Yours. I gotta get me one of those. I just love it. Part Humvee, part Lamborghini, 
It is just an ingenious way to represent this key part of Batman lore. And it's functional, no less. And it is genuinely thrilling to see this badass vehicle maraud its way around Gotham, as we hear the rousing strings of Hans Zimmer and James Newton Howard's score percolate on the soundtrack. Talk about a fist pump or trailer moment. And that brings me to the next category, which would be the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. And speaking of that rousing score, Hans Zimmer and James Newton Howard collaborated on a brand new sound for this character, which wasn't as theatrical as the one that Danny Elfman had done previously, but still pretty great. Now, the actual new Bat theme for this movie, it's pretty good, though it's not as memorable as the one Elfman did for the first two Batman movies. However, one particular piece of music, which I would hold up against any piece of score for any superhero, would be the high-tempo theme played during our official introduction to the Tumblr in this movie, which I just referred to. The aim of this scene is quite simple. Batman needs to get Rachel back to the Batcave, ASAP, as she has been heavily dosed by the Scarecrow with his fear toxin. Now, a rational person might ask that if this version of the Batmobile is as secure as it appears to be, and if Bruce Wayne slash Batman has already received this inoculation, why wouldn't he just bring a dose with him to keep in the Tumblr? But never mind, because then we wouldn't have this awesome scene of him frantically driving her through Gotham, evading the police. That's why. As for the music, it's a fierce combination of accelerated strings and horns, which is about as edge-of-your-seat exciting as anything you are likely to hear in an action picture. It almost sounds like a musical freight train in the background, desperately trying to keep up with the action being shown on screen. And as it turns out, besides Zimmer and Howard, there was one up-and-coming musician who also worked on this piece of music, who would eventually go on to become a big-time composer in his own right. And that would be Rahman Jawadi. A couple of years later, he would compose the score for the first Iron Man movie, which was a pretty good score as well. And a few years after that, he would compose the theme music for a little show called Game of Thrones. Yep, he did that theme. But back to Batman Begins, the particular track that we hear over the Tumblr-caused mayhem in this scene is called Molossus, which means a genus of Mastiff Bats. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. That brings me to the next category, which would be the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. Wow, we have quite a list here. Like I said previously, one of the reasons I consider Batman Begins to be the ultimate origin story is that it does such a good job of delivering those big-time origin moments and how well they are integrated into the story. And it starts with that first moment around the 62-minute mark when we hear Christian Bale utter for the first time, wearing cape and cowl as he pulls Tom Wilkinson's Carmine Falcone out of his limo, I'm Batman. Just as we hear the first notes from Hans Zimmer's rousing new bat theme. What the hell are you? I'm Batman. 
Then just a couple of minutes later, we see the inadvertent debut of the bat signal. As Lieutenant Gordon, played by Gary Oldman in a nicely understated performance, and a few other policemen discover Falcone strapped alive across a spotlight, resulting in an image of light which kind of resembles a bat in the sky. Nolan and the cinematographer Wally Pfister just love the iconography of this character. But even better, he has already spent an hour building up this character to earn those moments. And believe it or not, these aren't even my personal favorites. Nope, that would actually be a bit later as Batman is now inside Arkham Asylum, about to rescue his beloved Rachel, who has just been dosed by the Scarecrow. In this scene, Arkham is now surrounded by Gotham PD, and Oldman's Gordon is brave enough to go inside and try to talk to this walking bat one-on-one to see what's the deal. They speak briefly as Batman updates him on the situation, but in the background, there is some strange noise afoot. Everyone starts to hear it. It sounds like a swarm of some kind. When asked what the sound is, Batman simply responds, backup. And that backup turns out to be, you guessed it, a swarm of bats, which are here to distract the cops and to help Batman get out with Rachel. This is just a spectacular, crowd-pleasing moment as we watch our hero maneuver his way out. And it's beautifully shot, no less, as at the key moment as we see him running through a hallway surrounded by bats, we see the Batman center frame in all of his glory. To anyone out there who keeps insisting that Nolan does not know how to direct action, I will direct you to this moment. What is that? And that brings us to the next category, which would be wasted talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Now, pretty much all of the cast is spot on with one glaring exception. And yep, it's the obvious one. Katie Holmes playing Rachel, who is not only Bruce's childhood love, but also the assistant district attorney of Gotham. For several years after first seeing this, I had kind of thought that Holmes was just giving a bad performance as she comes off as just very earnest and I never quite bought her as an assistant DA. She just looks and sounds way too young. But here's the thing. I don't actually think it's her fault. Katie Holmes is doing what she can with some pretty on-the-nose dialogue, and she was simply miscast, plain and simple. Holmes had given enough good performances in some very good movies in the years leading up to this, like Wonder Boys and Go. But she was always playing younger, less mature characters, barely in their 20s. Having her play a brassy assistant DA barking orders over the phone just always kind of felt off, as she felt more like a young girl playing dress-up. This character required an actress who was several years older, who seemed more mature, and in retrospect, Maggie Gyllenhaal was probably a better choice to replace her in The Dark Knight. Bruce, deep down you may still be that same great kid you used to be. It's not who you are underneath. It's what you do that defines you. And that brings me to the final category, which would be the MVP, 
This is the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. Now, I am tempted to choose Christopher Nolan for helping to take the comic book movie genre to heights that it just had not reached before. But at the end of the day, his predilection for on-the-nose dialogue still weighs this movie down just a slight bit. There's also DP Wally Pfister, who also deserves a special shout-out for just how epic and cinematic that this movie looks. This Gotham by way of Chicago looks both lived in and majestic. But really for me, the MVP at the end of the day has to be Christian Bale. He is playing three distinct characters in this movie, and he's playing them well. There's Bruce Wayne in private, there's Bruce Wayne's public persona, and of course there's the Batman. And as much as I like the next two films in this trilogy, I think his bat growl works best in this movie as it rarely feels over the top. And you can tell that he's also kind of just workshopping it, which is part of the fun. He's still kind of learning who he is as this character. Among the seven actors who have played this character on screen, Bale is the best. I uh, want to thank you all for coming here tonight and drinking all of my booze. <laughs> Not really. There's a thing about being a Wayne that you're never short of a few freeloaders like yourselves to fill up your mansion with. So here's to you people. Thank you. To all of you, uh, all of you phonies, all of you <laughs> two-faced friends, you sycophantic suck-ups who smile through your teeth at me, please leave me in peace. My rating for Batman Begins would be five stars out of five. Among all feature films of the comic book superhero genre, I would personally rank Batman Begins a number one. It's exciting, funny, thoughtful, and even inspiring at points. As of this recording, The Batman is coming out in just a few weeks. And while I am suitably hyped to see it, it really has its work cut out for it if it's going to top this particular cinematic telling of The Cape Crusader. If you're looking to watch Batman Begins... It's currently streaming on Netflix and HBO Max. And that ends another nocturnal review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.